This is Common Threads, an interfaith dialogue. I'm Fred Stella, President of the Interfaith Dialogue Association. Welcome to another edition of Common Threads, Art and Religion. I can't imagine having a religion without art. I don't know of a religion that does not incorporate art into their worship, into their theology, their expression, their iconography. Well, the Interfaith Dialogue Association is having a conference about art and religion. It's coming up, and we're happy to tell you about it this hour. With me today to talk about our upcoming conference is Phil Schaffsma and Dr. Suzanne Eberly. Phil is a native of Grand Rapids who went to Calvin College, and he received an MFA in photography from the San Francisco Art Institute. He's worked as a commercial photographer in Grand Rapids for the past 25 years. Three years ago, he decided to pursue a career change and founded ICONS, an internet resource for religious and spiritual art. Icons is an online stock image bank and gallery that provides a commercial marketplace for artists exploring religious, spiritual, psychological, and sociological themes. It also provides educational opportunities, workshops, and lectures on those themes for artists, creative people, and the broader community. More information can be found about Icons at www.icons.com, and that's E-Y-E-K-O-N-S. Also with me in the studio is Dr. Suzanne Eberly. She's chair of the Art History Department at Kendall College of Art and Design, where she has taught since 1979. She specializes in modern and contemporary art with a particular interest in issues of the body. She's taught many art history courses, from intro surveys to the history of fashion to architecture. She's been developing and teaching theme-based classes for MFA students, including art and the spiritual. She's also trained docents at the uh, Art Museum and Meyer Gardens, and gives public lectures and paper presentations at museums and art colleges around the country. She has her degrees from my alma mater, the University of Detroit, and I welcome Dr. Suzanne Eberly and Phil Schaffsma to Common Threads. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure to be here, Fred. I'll tell you, this is very exciting. And for a couple of moments, uh, Phil, you and I, let's talk about the, uh, the history of how this conference came to be. Because it was supposed to happen last year, right? Mm -hmm. uh, how we choose a theme at the Interfaith Dialogue Association for our fall conference is basically the board of directors sits around the table and throws a lot of stuff at the wall and we, we end up with what sticks. And in uh, 2005, somebody came up with the idea of an arts conference. We have had visual arts. We have had uh, conferences on sacred movement. We have had conference, a conference on sacred sound, music, liturgical, chanting, etc., and uh, storytelling, all sorts of things. And last year, we decided it was art. We couldn't get it together quite in time, so we changed direction, uh, and in October of 05, we partnered with the Lakeshore Interfaith Institute on uh, a conference on the global ethic, 
but promised ourselves we would pick up the arts theme this year and run with it, and we have, and I'll state right now that we couldn't have done it without you, Phil. So tell us how you were brought into the mix. Well, um, actually, the way you and I both got connected was through our mutual friend, Charlie Honey. Um, Icons is a gallery that's uh, been doing exhibitions of, um, with art related to spiritual and religious themes, so we've spent a fair amount of time talking to Charlie, the editor of the religion section in the Grand Rapids Press. Uh, Charlie then suggested to both of us that, that we should kind of connect and talk to each other about it. So we did. Um, I ended up meeting with you guys, met uh, Stephanie Rensland, who's the IDA person who's been uh, chairing the conference along with ICONS, and we started planning this. Um, ICONS, you know, is a, is a gallery and an online resource, but part of our effort in our gallery is to feature regional, local and regional artists who are creating art within religious and spiritual themes. Uh, part of what we've worked hard to do as well is to partner with different organizations locally to do different kinds of shows. We've had several partnerships with the Calvin Institute for Christian Worship that has been has worked out really delightful. We've done a con we've done a conference and we've done a variety of workshops. Um, the ability to partner with you know Interfaith Dialogue Association was a a wonderful opportunity because that enables us to connect to a, a broader spectrum of the community and also to ex explore a broader spectrum of art. Did you have any concerns when we first contacted you? Because when I heard about icons, I was under the impression that it was exclusively a gallery for Christian art. And uh, I actually, I was a little bit hesitant to call you because I thought that that might be in opposition to whatever mission you might have. Uh, but you were very welcoming, and I'm just curious, was it something that passed through your head that this, this may be risky for me, or uh, I might meet resistance from the people with whom I normally deal? Well, um, you know, I am a, a church-going Christian person here in Grand Rapids, um, and we have primarily been, you know, up to this point, the, the gallery opened in September of 2005, and we have primarily been working with Christian artists. Um, I've always been interested in comparative religious themes, issues, art. Um, I have to do an aside here to my sister Maud, who uh, was five years older than I and helped raise me, and she did a, a degree in comparative religion. So while I was raised in a reformed household, I was spent an enormous amount of time around other religious ideas um, as I was growing up. So um, to me, it was a natural extension of my own, my own interests in particular. Um, we, too, were a little concerned, you know, with the issue of culture wars and things that are, are prevalent in us living in the center of the heartland here. Um, we were a bit concerned about that. But, um, you know, as I spent time talking to a lot of the different people that we've worked with about the opportunity to do a show of art, you know, featuring art from perspectives of Hindus, Buddhists, Christians, Jews, and Muslims, I found them to, in fact, uh, not only to be very accepting of the idea, but thinking it was a, a really wonderful opportunity uh, through which to learn more about that. Um, one of the unexpected things is uh, how interested people were actually in learning about Islam through art. So uh, one of the things we've done is we've, um, we've, we've we're featuring artists and speakers from the community who are from 
Jewish perspectives, Christians, general Hindus and Buddhists, but we've um, gone to the east side of the state, collaborated with people from the Arab American Museum, and are bringing some very interesting speakers to talk about, uh, to talk about Islam, to talk about Arab Americans and, and Islamic culture, as well as to feature some very interesting contemporary you know, Arab Islamic art. Suzanne, you are a keynote speaker for this uh, conference. How did you get roped into this again? Well, at Kendall, I teach um, several art history classes for our graduate program, and we choose those classes based on theme rather than chronology. So uh, I was asked to do a course on art and the spiritual, uh, mainly because the students were very interested in uh, multiple religious views, and even going beyond religion per se, but looking at the broader spectrum of the spiritual as it's connected to the psychological. So I had a sabbatical several years ago, and I studied and prepared the class. I've taught the class twice now, and Fountain Street Church uh, had me speak on uh, art and the spiritual historically, and Phil came to that talk and uh, asked me if I could join him at the conference. Well, we're thrilled to have you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, give us just little bit of a sneak preview. I'm not going to ask you to actually give the, the talk, but if you can uh, hit on a couple of, of the most important points. Uh, do you see throughout history a time when religion was uh, completely disconnected from art? I mean, from the very, very beginnings, I realized that, that some traditions in more recent history uh, choose to distance themselves from, mm -hmm. from artistic expression, right. I, 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 except for very limited mm -hmm. reasons. But when you go back, you know, the Egyptians, the Greeks, and mm -hmm. perhaps even, even beyond that, is there ever a time that you see there that art was absent? Well, not really. In fact, if you go back to the very beginnings of art uh, in the prehistoric period, uh, the Paleolithic and Neolithic periods, uh, art is generally thought to be very much connected with religion, or at least that spiritual impulse. So the cave paintings at Lascaux, uh, Stonehenge, uh, they all are related to some sort of uh, spiritual practice or spiritual needs. Mm -hmm. Uh, when we get to the Greeks, of course, uh, much of the art is, is religious-based, religiously based. Uh, the body is important in, in Greek art. Uh, that continued in Roman art. Uh, and I think that that's one reason why Christian art is very body-based, at, at least traditionally in, in uh, Catholic uh, art, because it comes from that Greek and Roman tradition. But if you follow other traditions, let's say in the Middle East or in the Far East, the idea of uh, the invisible uh, and the, the possibility of making the invisible visible uh, becomes very important for those artists. What does that mean? Well, spiritual impulses are not uh, tangible. Yeah, you, we, we talk about the soul. Uh, we talk about um, spiritual desires, uh, heaven, hell, uh, sin, I'm using a lot of Christian terms here, uh, but every religion has those same basic ideas in them. And none of those are of this world. They're not of the flesh. And of course, one of the problems is how do you take those, uh, again, very invisible ideas and make them material? 
some artists choose to do that through the body, and there are many traditions which use uh, gods and goddesses. Uh, they, they turn to the human form you know, for, their, for their ideas. But there are other traditions uh, which really celebrate uh, the unknown, um, or what Kant called the numinous, the, uh, the mystical. And we see that oftentimes in abstract art. Uh, many times people think that abstract art is just about formal content, uh, formal characteristics of the art, color, line, shape, and so on. But many, many of the, um, of the early moderns, especially, I'm thinking of somebody like Kandinsky or Piet Mondrian, uh, even Mark Rothko used abstract form in order to reach a higher level of existence. And I think uh, Mark Rothko's quote uh, about his use of color is, is wonderful. He claimed that color and light are the gates through which we enter the sacred and the transcendent. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Common Threads here on WGVU. My name is Fred Stella, president of the Interfaith Dialogue Association, and today we're discussing our upcoming annual fall conference, which will be held September 15th and 16th. With me in the studio is Phil Schaffsma from Icons Gallery and Dr. Susan Eberly from the Art History Department at Kendall College. Uh, Phil, growing up in the Reformed tradition, uh, I realize that what I'm about to ask is not as true today, but, but back then, was not art, artistic representation of things religious somewhat limited? Well, you know, traditionally speaking from a John Calvin point of view, you know, he saw art in the church being, you know, being the Bible, the cross, and a white wall. Um, and while that's been reiterated endlessly throughout time, um, in fact, in, in the past recent decades, um, Calvin College, and in particular the Calvin Institute for Christian Worship, have been, been in part leading the way in terms of exploring art uh, in relationship to faith and belief, and in particular, art in relationship to worship. Um, so while we do sit in that kind of, kind of paradox, um, the Reformed tradition also has with it, you know, the ability to reform ourselves, you know, in the light of what we, in the light of Christ, in the light of what we know, in the light of what we learn. Um, so while many see it as somewhat of a closed framework, what also is behind it, you know, often is a very rigorous uh, educational format where people are encouraged to explore, encouraged to look, and, you know, and encouraged to lead the way. And so, um, in fact, many of the people, in fact, actually among Christian colleges, um, Calvin is doing a remarkable job in, in, in the United States in terms of leading the way and the Calvin Institute for Christian Worship actually has gained quite a progressive um, reputation for exploring art and its relationship to worship, art and its capacity for the renewal uh, of worship. Now, when you say art and worship, are you th speaking specifically now of art inside the church as opposed to whatever uh, spiritual sucker may develop through doing art in your own home or viewing art outside of the church. Well, when in you know the Calvin Institute for Christians Worship, uh, 
you know, mission is, is, is working for the study and renewal of worship. So when we have done a lot of work with them, we have worked hard to explore the relationship of art to worship. Very, very challenging thing in today's world. Um, and very challenging for an artist to be able to create art that can be used within that context. So what might you see in, in a Reformed church today that you wouldn't have seen 20 or 30 years ago? Um, in relation to that, you're seeing more, uh, well, you're seeing certainly more in the, emer in the more progressive, emergent Reformed churches, the use of images on, on, uh, on screens and things to correlate with worship. In the more traditional liturgical churches, um, you're seeing a lot more art used as banners, um, as you know, liturgical complements to the uh, liturgical season, as well as a, a huge increase in churches having galleries to provide uh, outlets for, um, for artists working within this context. But that, that in part is only one of the ways that, that we work, as well as only one of the ways that the Calvin Institute works. Um, and as I had said before, they they too are very interested in what's going on with the Interfaith Dialogue Association. Um, not only as a group that is exploring uh, art and religion in their art and religion, art and faith, art and belief in their own way, but also they too are very interested in the community that we all live in. And so part of what, um, part of what we wanted to do in this conference, which is also what IDA is about, is to show the um, religious diversity, you know, the religious pluralism that's here in our own community and try to find a way to celebrate that. And then rather than emphasizing perhaps the differences we may have to um, see what in fact we have, you know, what, what in fact we can learn from each other through how we choose to perceive and understand art and how art it works as a catalyst to giving us uh, insight into the sacred and the divine, both within the context of worship and the holy, as well as within the context of the ordinary and the everyday. Suzanne, let me ask you, in the past few years, I've noticed within the Christian community, outside of the Orthodox branch of that Christian community, uh, a, a very passionate interest in icons, and now we're spelling it I-C-O-N-S as mm -hmm. opposed to Icons Gallery. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what's your take on that? Do you have any idea where it came from and perhaps any predictions as to where you see it going? Well, I think the, the interest in icons uh, parallels the, the rise of uh, conservatism uh, in many faiths. And icons provide a stability. Uh, if you look at uh, individualized approaches to uh, to religious art, and I'm thinking of things like Renaissance artists, Baroque artists, even 19th century artists, uh, although they didn't do a whole lot of art in the 19th century based on religion, uh, we find that the, the approach is so personalized uh, that it becomes unknowable to the masses. An icon, by its very nature, is something that remains the same. And the word icon originally meant uh, a, a religious work, a religious work of art that was not touched by human hands. So it just appears mysteriously. And when Byzantine artists began making icons, they wanted to use a formula, 
the, the same face, the same cookie-cutter eyes, uh, the same style of nose, and so on. Uh, and that formula then provided a security, but also um, a, um, a celebration of the religious form. That still continues today in Orthodox uh, Christianity, and I think that the, the desire for security and stability and sameness and something that everyone can understand uh, is, is really necessary in many faiths. Mm-hmm. The, the, the other thing, if I could just say, too, within the context of what they're broadly referring to as the emergent church, you know, um, we would say Calvary Church here, you know, in, in, the, in terms of the, of the Protestant tradition, um, or Morris Hill, they have, they've referred to um, what these young people as millennials. And in fact, while they are wanting to worship within the context of a very progressive new church, guitars and not organs, they do have um, a striking interest in that which has not changed. And one of the things that does grab their attention is, in fact, icons. And while many different parts of old traditional religious things have been um, either ignored and or pushed away by the emergent church, there seems to be a growing interest in them as something from that very early church that they connect to. But they wouldn't use it in the same way as, say, people in the Orthodox They would, wouldn't community. use it in, in, a, in the same way at all. But in, we did a conference two years ago on uh, Art is Everywhere, you know, the artist in us all, and the subtext was the artist serving the church. And an iconographer came, you know, called us up, saw the, saw the article that Charlie had done in the religion section, called us up, and came to there. And he was, um, he was surrounded from dawn to dusk with people very much consumed with wanting to ask him questions and gain understanding into, in fact, what they saw as the mystery of, the, of iconography. So to be clear, somebody from the Orthodox community or from the Eastern Rite or even Western Rite uh, uh, Roman Church, uh, they would not pray to the icon but use it as a prayer tool. And you're saying that... Well, it, it's, venera- it's the issue it's of... Venerated. Ver- ve- it's venerated. It's right. used as a touchstone. Yes. Not, not any different than... You know, mandalas are used in, mm-hmm. in, in other traditions. It's used mm-hmm. as, a, as a means of, a, of what they would refer to as a, a window into the eternal, mm-hmm. as, a, as a touchstone that guides you, never as an object that, that in and of itself is worshipped. Exactly. Um, Tom Clark was the iconographer who happened to be visiting. Um, he's married to a, a, a woman from Grand Rapids, and he's done a lot of the work for Holy Trinity uh, Greek Orthodox Church. And so, and, and he's a very, very interesting, engaging guy. And um, the Orthodox Church is always very willing um, to share with the broader community when they show interest. So not only did Tom jump on the opportunity as well as us, but then they, uh, we were able to bring icons from Holy Trinity and in fact have it be- become part of our show about the artists serving the church. And then as we have since done different workshops, We've, um, we've worked with Themis Fodio from um, Holy Trinity Greek Orthodox Church and always attempted to, when we talk about religious aesthetics or art and the spiritual, always attempted to say, let's, let's start by understanding the beginning. And they have the oldest continuous working system of religious aesthetics 
um, that there is. And, there, and the iconographer is indeed an artist that does work in, in the true sense of being an iconographer to, to solely serve the church. So, there's, there's another level to this also because the artist is interested in icons partly because of the connection with the past, uh, but in a postmodern sort of way. Uh, in other words, artists will not just copy the icons, but rather will do a, a, an edgy takeoff on the icon, not to be blasphemous, uh, but rather to draw from history and make history more meaningful for the present. Uh, and I think that many artists understand that it can't go back to the past. Uh, we live in a contemporary world, and so there has to be that slight edge and, or um, a re-examining re of the past. And I think that's something that mm -hmm. is happening in the conference. Uh, the conference is a look at history, but it's also uh, a melding of history with the present and with the future. Very, very, very much so. And some of the most interesting art that we show at ICONS, as well as that we have in the conference, is in fact art that is very much part of that synthesis, where mm -hmm. they use the ICONS as a, as a beginning place, and then synthesize that into their art, seeking to find their own, their own new language upon which to comment on the past. Phil, we have just a couple of minutes. I'm going to ask you to give a bit of a breakdown on the conference that's coming up. Again, the dates, the 15th and 16th of September. On, on uh, Friday, September 15, we're going to be having the artist reception and gallery opening for what we're calling Art Meeting the Sacred Exhibition. That, that'll be held from 5 to 10 p.m. Friday night at the Icons Gallery on 210 East Fulton. Easy parking's available downtown for those who want to come behind the First United Methodist Church or the uh, pharmacy that's located right next to Icons. Saturday, September 16, will be the conference. Um, it's uh, starting 9 o'clock sharp, and we'll, we'll start in the, in the uh, sanctuary of the First United Methodist Church with our plenary sessions, which will feature Dr. Suzanne Eberly talking on art and the importance of a visual faith, as well as Dr. Hashem Al-Tawil, our uh, featured speaker from the east side of the state, who will be talking about visual representations of monotheistic culture. Um, okay. What we then have is we then have a short break, and we have 18 different workshops. Um, we have what we're calling three breakout sessions, 11 to 12, uh, 1 to 2, 2.15 to 3.15. For each session, there's six choices. We have a wide assortment of uh, choices that, of very interesting workshops that can be viewed online. Um, registration for it is online. After the breakout sessions are done, we have a, a nice break, coffee break, and then we'll end with the final plenary session, which will be a large presentation by all of the artists. And we can learn all about this at www.icons, that's E-Y-E-K-O-N-S dot com. We're out of time, but there are more questions that I have for both of you, so I'm going to invite you to come back next week, and we will continue this discussion. I'm Fred Stella. You've been listening to Common Threads here on WGVU. With me has been Phil Schaffsma and Dr. Suzanne Eberly, and we're talking about this year's IDA conference. Please join us again next week when we'll pick this up. Common Threads is a production of WGVU in cooperation with the Interfaith Dialogue Association. The views and opinions expressed are not necessarily those of the station, 
its underwriters, or Grand Valley State University. In many cases, the participants on this program represent themselves and may not be designated spokespeople for the faiths they represent. Send questions and comments by email through our website, www.interfaithdialogueassociation.org. Thank you for listening and join us again next week for another edition of Common Threads. This is Common Threads, an interfaith dialogue. Stella, President of the Interfaith Dialogue Association. Welcome to another edition of Common Threads. Last week we began our conversation with Phil Schaffsma and Suzanne Eberly about our upcoming fall conference for Interfaith Dialogue Association. For those of you who may not have been connected with IDA before, ever since its inception 20 years ago, we've had an annual conference where we take a particular theme that we hope resonates with a number of religions that have representation here in West Michigan. In the past, we've had sacred movement, sacred sound, storytelling, uh, religion in school. This year, we've chosen sacred art. And to discuss our conference, again, Phil Schaffsma and Suzanne Eberly have joined us once again. Let me tell you a little bit about Phil and Suzanne. Phil is a native of Grand Rapids. He went to Calvin College, and he received his master's in photography from the San Francisco Art Institute. He's worked as a commercial photographer here in Grand Rapids for the past 25 years. Three years ago, he decided to pursue a career change and founded ICONS, that's E-Y-E-K-O-N-S, an internet source for religious and spiritual art. ICONS is an online stock image bank and gallery that provides a commercial marketplace for themes. For artists exploring religious, spiritual, psychological, and sociological themes. It also provides educational opportunities, workshops, and lectures on those themes for artists, creative people, and the broader community. Suzanne Eberly is chair of the Art History Department at Kendall College. She's taught there since 1979 and specializes in modern and contemporary art with a particular interest in issues of the body. She's taught many art history courses, from intro surveys to the history of fashion to architecture, and she's been developing and teaching theme-based classes for her master's programs, including art and the spiritual. She also trains docents at the Art Museum here in Grand Rapids and the Meyer Gardens, and she gives public lectures at museums and art colleges around the country. And her degrees, all of them are from the University of Detroit. Our conference this year is September 15th and 16th, which is just a few days away. We still have opportunities for you to register and to attend. And we'll talk more about that a little later on. But right now, welcome Phil and Suzanne back to Common Threads. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Fred. Uh, last, uh, last week, we ended with uh, you, Phil, talking about what was going to happen at the conference, which is now just a few days away. 
And you mentioned Suzanne's uh, talk. And once again, what, what is the title of Suzanne's talk? Suzanne's, uh, Suzanne will be giving a, the plenary session talk, one of the two plenary speakers in the morning, and she will do also be, gi be giving a separate workshop. But the plenary talk is titled Art and the Importance of a Visual Faith. And we have a special guest from Dearborn uh, who is going to give another plenary Am I uh, correct? Right. That'll be the other plenary will be given by Dr. Hashem Al Tawil. Um, he teaches at the Henry Ford Community College in the University of Michigan, Dearborn, um, and he'll be talking on visual representations of monotheistic culture, uh, giving a historic perspective. Part of what we've we've sought to do in the issue of art pursuing the sacred and/or spiritual is to have a very contemporary historic perspective from Dr. Eberly. And then Hashem will give a much more of a historic perspective. Um, Hashem then will also be giving a workshop on his own art. Uh, he's actually having a, a, a show right now at the, at the, at the uh, Synergy Gallery in Berkeley, Michigan. Um, and uh, we'll be featuring his art in our show as well. And then he'll be giving another talk on, um, on Islam, and a broad overview of Islamic culture and art. Kind of an interesting story, how you came upon him. Would you share that with us? On, upon Hashem? Yes. Um, yeah, we, well, we had met and we talked about wanting to do this conference, and we wanted it primarily to be uh, a, a celebration of the voices of artists from our community, you know, referring to broadly speaking West Michigan. So we, we have a fair amount of participants from... Um, Kalamazoo, from Rockford, from Grand Rapids, from Holland. Um, we're going to have an artist from Three Rivers. And we really wanted to feature the local voices of artists speaking within the different religious, you know, religious perspectives. Um, but we have a very, we don't have any Islamic or Arab, very few Arab communities here on our side of the state. So I, um, I contacted people at the Arab American Museum, a wonderful new museum in Dearborn, who um, were beyond generous and beyond helpful. So they, they referred me to their educational people who also referred me to, um, to, the, to the Detroit Institute of Art educational people as well as to a variety of other you know, Islamic outreach uh, organizations and Islamic uh, you know, interfaith organization in particular. Um, and they, they responded very quickly and very enthusiastically. I think hearing, you know, getting a request from the west side of the state to, you know, want to feature art and or lectures um, from an Arab uh, American and Islamic point of view, they were very eager and delighted to uh, respond to that. And um, Hashem was the name that they all shared. Um, he's a wonderful man. Um, he, um, he, he's, he's from Iraq, came here in 1976. Um, he's been an educator and teacher on the east side of the state, um, you know, since then. He's involved in a variety of uh, projects. He was involved with Diane Eck from Harvard in the Pluralism Project in the 90s, working to help develop a curriculum that would help generate a greater sense of religious, social, you know, and uh, cultural understanding. Um, he's a very talented and very interesting artist. Um, and he's an authority very much, not only on 
um, on, on Islamic culture, but uh, you know, early Jewish culture and the early Christian church as well. So we were really delighted that he was willing to participate, and delighted to be able to have that represent, you know, that the Islamic point of view, the Islamic perspective, both historically and contemporarily, be represented from someone um, as esteemed and insightful as Hashem. And he'll will be a delightful complement to Dr. Eberly's very uh, contemporary perspective on the issues of art and the spiritual. Uh, Suzanne, while we're talking about uh, Islamic art for, for a moment, uh, I know that people in the Muslim community have told me that it's difficult to find a Muslim artist because they're, they're, they don't have representational art. Can you speak to the, the Islamic tradition at all and, and how, that, how that prohibition might have come about? Sure. Um, well, first of all, we go back to um, the fact that uh, Islam began in the Middle East, and so there's a lot of borrowing from not only Arab culture but also Byzantine culture. And both of those traditions put much stock in symbolism and uh, the iconoclastic tradition uh, that is uh, not showing the body. So that means that form, line, color uh, must be symbolic. And if I could point to maybe the uh, Islamic garden as, as a metaphor for uh, all Islamic uh, religious work, the Islamic garden appears in the one hand just to be a beautiful place, and in fact it is paradise. And the word paradise uh, means uh, a heavenly place. Uh, uh, garden is a paradise because you find in there then the center of the universe, which is Allah, and at the center of a garden will always be water. In the, uh, at the outskirts of the garden there will be two pathways uh, the water can flow through those pathways, but those represent then the, uh, the life-giving uh, forms of the earth, the life-giving liquids of the earth. So that represents water, wine, honey, and milk. The four corners of the, of the uh, rectangle, if you will, or the square, represent the four corners of the world. And uh, Allah goes out to bless and welcome everyone you know, from the four corners of the world. So what appears to be simply uh, a beautiful structure is in fact symbolic of uh, the, the more spiritual aspects of Islam. And that's true also in the art that you find, whether it's painting, um, tile work, uh, there'll be a lot of repeated patterns, and the, the whole is always more important than the part, but you can't have the whole without the individual parts. So there's an interplay between uh, the small, minute, uh, rep repeated pattern that you find in Islamic art and the wholeness of it so that it fits together as one basic design. So design in Islamic art is never just design. Design represents the mysteries and the uh, uh, the transcendence of Allah. And if I could shift gears a little bit, let's talk about uh, Christian art back mm -hmm. uh, Renaissance time, or maybe mm -hmm. even before. Mm -hmm. One thing that uh, I've always been curious about, when I was in a cathedral in, 
in uh, Florence is to see all this lovely art, the depictions of the life of Jesus, uh, pictures of paradise, uh, the saints. Then you've got these devils eating people. <laughs> Fear-based religious art. Can you talk to that at all, uh, where it, it came from and perhaps uh, uh, why we don't see it anymore? <laughs> <laughs> well, we do see it, actually, quite a bit. It just takes a different form. Um, and one of the questions that I pose to my students is, should a spiritual artist be comforting, reassuring? Uh, should he or she present images that are immediately acceptable and nurturing? Because we want religion to be comforting and beautiful. Uh, but I think that religion does more than that. Uh, there's another side to life. There's a negative side. There is, uh, there is evil in the world, and there has to be a recognition of that. So the artist should not only celebrate everything that's good in the world, but there's also a distortion or a dissembling that has to occur. As, as my cousin the priest says, religion should... Uh comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Yes, yes, it should be challenging. And I think much religious art is challenging. So when you go back to the Middle Ages, uh, you will find the dance of death. You, know, you will find visions of hell. Think of Michelangelo's uh, last judgment at the end of the Sistine Chapel. Uh, heaven is glorious, but hell is definitely there. In the contemporary world, you also have that kind of distortion. Because instead of just looking at uh, the beautiful religious image, uh, there's also an abjection. Uh, th there's a horror that is included in many works. And a perfect example of that is the, uh, the very uh, controversial image by um, Andrea Serrano. Uh, and that's his crucifix that was mm -hmm. in the vat of his urine called Piss Christ. If you didn't know the title of that piece and you were just looking at the image, it's an absolutely gorgeous, traditional crucifixion. Um, it's bathed in golden light. And it's only when you read the title that you realize maybe there's more going on. Uh, maybe faith is not something that's absolutely positive. Uh, maybe, in fact, there are uh, awkward or uh, argumentative sides to religion. And is Serrano literally angry at Christ? Uh, is he taking out his vengeance on, on Christ and the church through that? Uh, another way of looking at that is the cross that is represented there is a tiny uh, glow-in-the-dark crucifix. And Serrano claimed that one of the things he was trying to do in that image is to uh, say something about the commodification of religion. Uh, religion has grown to be a marketable commodity. And uh, religion shouldn't be a consumer good. So he's not just slapping the face of religion, he's slapping us in the face uh, for diminishing religion and turning it into something that's uh, like MTV or uh, Coca-Cola. It's a brand, and he wants us to take that more seriously. I heard another uh, work of art that uh, caused a great deal of controversy, and I, I forget the title of it, but it is a statue of the Virgin Mary with, I believe it's, I believe it's elephant dung. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. It is a painting, and it's by Chris Ophelia. Uh, he's uh, an English artist. It's a painting of the Blessed Virgin Mary. It's called Holy Virgin Mary. 
And there is uh, elephant dung on there. But again, if you look at the image, it's a very Africanized image of the Blessed Mother. So she's represented from an ethnic point of view rather than from a, a more traditional, let's say, medieval or Renaissance point of view, which is more Germanic or French or Italian. But in the African tradition, elephant dung isn't seen as something that is negative. Uh, African dung is useful. Mm -hmm. uh, it's collected. It's used as a source of power uh, and uh, its energy. So African dung is often used by traditional African artists and tribal African artists to represent uh, dynamism, um, uh, energizing you know, uh, feelings. In, in, in Hindu culture, cow dung is considered auspicious. Okay. Yeah, same sort of thing. So those little balls of elephant dung stuck on the Virgin are in fact energizing her and giving her more power rather than uh, lessening her. It's interesting that whenever uh, politicians or, or social critics bring up these works of art, I don't think we hear the, the other side, the artist's side. Now, uh, maybe the media just isn't focusing on that, or maybe you have the inside scoop because you are an artist. Do, do you have any comment on that? Well, I don't have any inside scoop, but uh, I think that it's easier to simply disregard the art or uh, look at it and, and criticize the art. One of the problems with understanding all contemporary art is you do, do need to know a lot about history to really appreciate it. And it's not as accessible. You know, we were talking about Renaissance artists. If you look at a Michelangelo or a Raphael, everything's there. It's a beautifully painted image. Uh, it's, it's very... Uh, easy to understand. If you look at a contemporary piece, you need to know quite a bit about history, quite a bit about where the artist is coming from. You need to sometimes look at multiple levels at the same time. Um, a good example of that is the German artist Wolfgang Leib. Uh, he does performance pieces, and the the installation that's left after the performance piece is the artwork, but the actual making of the piece is part of the artwork too. And he draws on traditions of uh, early modernism in his minimal uh, large pieces of marble and, and materials that he uses. Uh, he looks to minimalism for the shapes that he uses, simple squares or circles, which are also meant to be sacred shapes. Uh, there's a sacred geometry going on in modern and contemporary art. But he also looks back to the Hindu uh, idea of puja, which is uh, the giving of oneself, so the offering. Um, he looks to Buddhist ideas in his work. So all those things are going on at the same time. And if you don't understand all those traditions blended in together, uh, you may just think that what he's creating is, in fact, a large marble slab with milk in it. <laughs> uh, I, I would need more time to describe that particular piece. But I understand what you're saying. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Common Threads here on WGVU Radio. I'm Fred Stella, president of the Interfaith Dialogue Association, and with me in the studio is Phil Schaftsma from Icons Gallery and Dr. Suzanne Eberly from the History Department at Kendall College. And we're discussing our upcoming fall conference uh, that's happening this coming weekend. That's uh, Friday the 15th and Saturday the 16th.
And Phil, I wanted you, if you would, I think you have the information with you. Last, last week we discussed uh, the plenary sessions and we talked a little bit about the workshops. Uh, uh, but we didn't go into detail on the workshops. For people who are attending, could you give us just a few of the options that people will have from which to choose? Certainly, Fred. What, what we're going to have is we're having three hour-long breakout sessions um, in our conference. For each of those sessions, uh, you're got the uh, person, had, the participant has a choice of six different workshops. We've tried to uh, uh, offer in each of those six a variety of different takes on art meeting the sacred. Some are very contemporary, some are very historic, some are Christian, some are Jewish, some relate to Hindu or to Buddhist concerns. Um, we're going to have uh, Hashem Al-Tawil talk about Islamic art. Uh, Dr. Eberly will also talk about the sacred in contemporary art. Um, we have a wonderful person, Linda Griggs, who is a 10-year uh, plus survivor of breast cancer, who will be doing a thing called a Hero's Quest, Chronicles of a Breast Cancer Survivor. Um, and how she's used art as that. Eric Nykamp is an artist who will talk on, not, he'll do two workshops, one on the studio as Holy Ground, the other, uh, he's married into a very Asian family and he'll be talking about art exploring visual metaphors and spiritual symbols of Chinese culture. Um, we're going to have a um, very interesting uh, person from the community, Suzanne Remus, who will talk about nature and a sense of wonder, a visual Jewish narrative. Um, Stephen Edwardson, a recent MFA recipient uh, and adjunct professor at Kendall, will talk about signs and symbols of the global visual culture. Um, very interesting couple, Gary and Trish Eldridge from Lowell. Uh, Trish is an energy healer and has a school in Lowell and is very busy in all the hospitals. They're working on a book together, so they'll talk about art exploring the physical, emotional, and spiritual principles of energy. Um, uh, a really wonderful artist from Rockford named Nancy Spalink um, is going to do a, a workshop on her art and her ideas uh, about yoga and its relationship to art called My Krishna Has Blue Eyes, Yoga is Self-Realization. Um, Donna Rathert, who uh, runs a ministry in Kalamazoo called Reflection Ministries, will be doing a workshop on icons as metaphors for the spiritual journey as well as Global Mother Art, um, Every Woman's Story, each of these featuring things that she does in her ministry, but also a tremendous amount of her own art. Um, a local artist, Peter Gordon, is going to do a very interesting workshop on Judaic symbols through a Christian artist's eyes. He's a, a very a Christian artist, but raised within a deeply Jewish community, and he uses very creatively, very wonderfully, very respectfully, very expressively Jewish symbols. Um, the other person we're having that we haven't talked about at all in, from the east side of the state is a co very contemporary artist, Adnan Charara. Um, you had mentioned your friends referring to the fact that there's very little Islamic art. Um, Adnan is a very much a contemporary artist. Uh, his workshop will be termed, he's an, an Arab, an American, and an artist. And it will be, you know, creative explorations into his artistic identity. Um, we're real excited about having him. We're doing some things on sculpture with a local Chippewa uh, stone carver, Jason Quignu, and an Afro-Cuban sculptor, Fernando Ortiz. 
um, which will be really, really a wonderful presentation. Dan Quinn, um, a local artist who works with uh, collage in a very Joseph Cornell kind of way, will be doing workshop on materials, metaphors, and meaning. And um, let's see, uh, Robbie Bartholomew, very interesting man from Kalamazoo, who uh, we, we like to feature students as well as the refined artist. He just received a BFA at Western, and he'll be doing a workshop on harmony and rhythm contemplating our connection with the universal spirit. But I'd like to, we do have six workshops for each session. It's really a mouthful to try to go through. Um, it's a lot to look at, and they're very nice. And I'd like to encourage people to go to the website, www.icons.com. And we have the workshops listed in brief descriptions, fuller descriptions. And then we also have the artist's work listed with bios on there where they can, um, where they can explore that, and, uh, and registration also will be online as well. And the Friday session uh, from uh, 5 to 10, I believe it is, on, on September 15th? Mm -hmm. Friday, Friday will be um, our uh, artist reception and gallery opening. We're having, I think we're having, we're over two dozen artists are in the show now. Uh, 20 of them will be there. Some won't be able to, but um, 20 of them will be there. Um, it's from 5 to 10. And that's free and open to the public, am I correct? It's free and open to the public, um, and everyone's welcome. It will be at the Icons Gallery, 210 East Fulton, not far from the corner of Jefferson and Fulton, right across the street from the First United Methodist Church. And uh, uh, people come downtown, it can be a little confusing, but easy access parking is uh, available behind the pharmacy next to the gallery as well as in the First United Methodist, behind the First United Methodist Church. How about a, a telephone number for someone looking for more information? For more information, feel free to call. Uh, it's area code 616-235-2929, or you can feel free to email me. It's real simple, phil at icons.com, E-Y-E-K-O-N-S. Happy to answer any questions that you have. Uh, we also do welcome students. We do offer group rates to, to students, churches, or other organizations. So feel free to call with any questions about that. Okay, we just have a couple of moments left. Um, Suzanne, would you care to tantalize us to, to, to whet our appetite with just uh, a, uh, perhaps an introduction to what you're going to talk about in just a few days? Well, I want to focus on the question, what is the holy? And how do we visualize the holy? Why do we need to visualize the holy? Um, what, is, what is it in the human nature that, uh, that must somehow articulate uh, through vision um, or through performance, uh, through installation, I'm using a lot of more contemporary terms for the art. Uh, but we're going to go beyond painting and sculpture, and I really want to begin looking at sacred space, uh, sacred movement, uh, as it is performed by visual artists. So why do we need that? It's a good question, and I'm sure we'll find out this weekend at the Interfaith Dialogue Association's annual fall conference, Art Meeting the Sacred. I'm Fred Stella, and I would like to thank my guests today, both intimately involved with our conference, uh, Phil Shaftsma from Icons Gallery, 
and Dr. Suzanne Eberly from Kendall College, who will be a plenary speaker. And okay, one other comment from Phil. I just wanted to say that walk-ins are welcome. If you're just hearing about it, you can feel free to show up at 8.30 on Saturday. You can feel free to come to the opening on Friday, but you can show up at 8.30 on Saturday morning. We're, we're welcome to come. We can handle your registration. We'll have a fresh cup of coffee waiting for you, and we welcome you to come and participate. Excellent. That's nice to know. Thank you. I'm Fred Stella. Thank you so much for joining us. This is Common Threads here on WGVU. Common Threads is a production of WGVU in cooperation with the Interfaith Dialogue Association. The views and opinions expressed are not necessarily those of the station, its underwriters, or Grand Valley State University. In many cases, the participants on this program represent themselves and may not be designated spokespeople for the faiths they represent. Send questions and comments by email through our website www.interfaithdialogueassociation.org Thank you for listening and join us again next week for another edition of Common Threads. Common Threads